covers humanity. You can choose to ignore, but it won't go away. It's a part of your past. It's your future today. There's no way around the cross. There is an ending for everything that's done. And heaven designed Calvary just for one. And the fate of this world was decided there. The light from the answer shines everywhere. There's no way around the cross. All history hangs on that tree. And the shadow falls far and wide and covers humanity you can choose to ignore but it won't go away it's a part of your past it's your future today because there's no way around the cross there's no denying the choice we must make but it stands at the end whichever road we take there's no way around the cross all history hangs on that tree and the shadow falls far and wide and covers humanity we can choose to ignore but it won't go away it's a part of our past it's our future today because there's no way around the cross there's no way around the cross there's just no way around the cross morning church happy sabbath um, today's scripture reading is found in second corinthians 5 verse 17 to 21 and i'm reading here from the new international version therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old one has gone the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Let's pray as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be in our midst today and help us to never drift away from the cross. Keep it in our minds, keep it in our thoughts, and in our purposes always. Amen. <clears throat> you know, we recently had a wonderful celebration we called Holy Week, <clears throat> pardon me, or Passion Week. Jesus' triumphal entry, the kids came in with their palm branches, the Lord's Supper, the day of the crucifixion, Jesus' rest day, and then the resurrection. But what do we keep with us every day after that? Or is it something we just kind of look forward to coming around again next year? Might we pull too soon away from the lessons of the cross? And that's what I want to talk about today. Because the cross is alive, it's not just principles or ideas, but our vehicle, our way, our road to having a living relationship with Christ. It's active. The cross shows us what God does with sin and what he wants to do with us. We'll look at just those two things today, what God does with sin and what he wants to do with us today. <clears throat> First sin, because I want to end on a good note. We'll get sin out of the way. That's what God wants to do, too. Sin is so serious, I think I've sometimes underestimated it, that it caused the death of a holy, innocent, undefiled, sinless, spotless, unblemished being, a being filled with life and light. It destroyed him. It crushed him. And it will just as certainly crush us. Those texts were from Hebrews 7, 1 Peter 1, and John 1. Sin necessitated the death of Christ, as, and that's stated twice in the Bible. I know there were some things going around a while back saying Jesus didn't have to die, but the rest of the sentence is, to appease an angry God. God's not angry. He was not angry with Christ. He's not angry with us. And the Bible very clearly says in Luke 24, in Jesus' words, that Jesus' death was necessary. Sin crushed the life out of Jesus. The cross reveals how big and how awful sin is, even more than all the wars and atrocities and abuses throughout history, and there have been plenty of those. I'm sure all of us can think of some. Sin was also illustrated in the sacrificial system. Sin is bloody and deadly because it is awful. Because of this awfulness, Jesus' death was not an option for God. Isaiah 53.10 is a text that's troubled me a lot of times. It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That scripture, it's always bothered me. The sin-crushing event of the cross involved a deliberate action by God. God did that knowingly on purpose to save us. God could have let sin crush us all, but he took it on himself instead. He could have taken the cup away from Jesus too, but he didn't, so that we can be ever, forever with him. And sometimes when I think about this, I think, you know, God is missing us 
He wanted a personal relationship with us. He's missing us. And if you ever feel like you're far away, tell yourself, God misses me. And he, he wants me to be in heaven restored again with him, which is why Jesus came and died. When I think about how bad sin is, does it make an angry word sound a little differently? Sound a little empty? Can what sin did to Jesus on the cross shock us out of passivity, out of a casualness about sin? You know, and the, the struggle isn't simply a war between good and evil inside us, that little battle we feel, shall I, should I not? Maybe I want to. Well, I want to anyway. No, I'm not going to. Sin will be lurking around any time our focus is outside of Christ, outside of the cross. We are called to a single purpose in Scripture in Psalm 26.3 in a phrase that also made it into one of our hymns, Hymn 547. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. And in non-poetic language, maybe a little more understandable, let nothing mean anything to me except you and the cross. Nothing. Even our decisions for good aren't to be about us. Our decisions for heaven, for example. Consider Ezekiel 36, 22 to 28, where God guides Israel, not for their sakes, not even just to save Israel, but for his own holy name's sake. We have been called for a purpose, to glorify the holy name of God. That's why we're here, to glorify God's name. God is depending on us, to vindicate him, unimaginable, for the sake of forever, for the sake of always. But how can this become true? It sounds impossible. What is the how-to of this? There's a prayer written by Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing the Cross, from which I'm quoting some today. And it's a call for help. Here's his prayer. Oh God, if there is anything in my life, in word or deed, that misrepresents you to people who watch or who listen, causing them to take lightly who you are, are they kept from hearing you because of how I live or what I say or what I do? If that is so, Lord, I ask you to do in me what is necessary. Do in me, do in you what is necessary. Is that a wild, brave prayer? Maybe a little. Or is it our only hope? In the cross lie both the guarantee and the power that we can become what God calls us to be. He's not going to ask us to do something and say, well, you can't do it, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Our job is to represent God, which I sometimes forget, something completely impossible without him. How do we represent this beautiful, perfect deity that's many levels above us without him we can't our only hope is for god to live completely within us colossians 1 26 and 27 two messages of the cross today god was made sin christ was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him that's second corinthians 5 21 in the scripture today christ was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Sometimes we don't finish the word, the verses. The in him is the whole answer. How do we abandon sin and live for God? 
How do we become his disciples? Matthew 16. Through the cross, sin is conquered, and God is waiting to live in us if we stay there. But does anybody here find obedience easy? Obedience is difficult. So difficult. And, and think about this. Hebrews 5.8, I discovered this when studying for this today. Hebrews 5.8 says that even Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Incredible statement, because we know he was sinless and he was perfect. But there was still a learning process there. So suffering is sometimes where we're driven back to what? All those frippery little things? When should I get the mail? Or should I plan a holiday? Or am I need to buy stamps at the post office? You know, we learn sometimes by suffering. I'm used to children's noises. That's singing a future choir member there. Obedience was so difficult in Bible times that Israel had to be exiled. Okay? God exiled Israel. He allowed that. He allowed the Babylonians and the Assyrians to bother them because they needed to learn. We too don't often learn without pain. It's one of the greatest things we understand in psychological counseling is that until people are suffering, they don't want to make changes. That's true for us too, spiritually. It is sometimes said, there are no atheists in a foxhole. You know, when, when we're suffering, when things are bad, we come back to what is most important, and that is our relationship to God. No atheists in a hot foxhole? Most people caught in a foxhole will be praying, even if all their lives they have not believed. Extreme circumstances can help us turn back to God, as did Israel. We may think we're not at risk at times. We're here, we're safe, we're studying, we're worshiping, we're praying. But are we regularly targets of the devil? Yes, every minute, all the time. I want us to remember just two things today, that sin is awful and that God is sufficient. That is the bottom line of this sermon. Sin is awful, but God is sufficient. It is time for us to come out of Egypt it's time for us to live our lives connected to the cross every moment, not separated, not that's for Sabbath or for prayer meeting or for Bible study or for my devotional time, to stay and live connected to the cross. It is past time for us to open our hearts to the indwelling Christ. You know, and Jesus went even further than just obedience. He went and made himself nothing. There was a film I saw a long time ago, maybe some of you that have white hair like mine will remember a film called The Ant Keeper. Anybody remember The Ant Keeper? It was comparing to talking about Jesus coming down to earth here for us. It would be as if we became ants or more. Just a, a very interesting comparison for us. Jesus made himself nothing, and that's from Philippians 2. He claimed no rights. And when we live in the cross, we will recognize we will also be without rights because the cross comes first. When we become Christ's followers, we hand over our rights to God. And he then is the one that directs whether we become singing martyrs, vociferous heralds of prophecy, or quiet prayers alone on a mountaintop. He is the one that will direct that. No rights. 
accept heaven and eternity forever. Don't forget that. If God governs our behavior, we may also be called to stand quietly at times, as did the non-combative Jesus under trial. Living in the confidence and peace of God, he knew why he was there. He knew he was there at God's bidding. It mattered little if he was falsely accused. Jesus was patient because he knew the joy that was coming, the joy that was set before him. That's Hebrews 12, too. And we do, too. We know what is coming. A famous Adventist song, lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. What's the next phrase? That's right. Jesus is coming again. We know the joy that is set before us, too. <clears throat> the cross was not the end, nor is it a mere exchange for our salvation. The cross is a living, personal experience, not a historic happening. The cross is not about religion, but about a relationship. You can talk about the cross to anyone. And dare I say, I almost didn't say this, but dare I say, Unless all our beliefs are centered in the cross, they have little meaning. If the full truth of the cross dawns upon us moment by moment, day by day, we will fall incurably in love with Jesus. Only a living God can bring us to say, I have been crucified with Christ. That's Galatians 2.20. 2 Corinthians 5.14 expounds on this further. It says, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Could we then maybe pause a second and ask ourselves a question? Where, where is the evidence that my life has been transformed? What are those things, quoting Pastor Claremont, that if God changed in me, people would say, he lives? Henry Blackaby claims, once you understand the cross, a selfish, self-centered life is simply no longer an option. In John 14, 19, Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. Through him, we can live victoriously. 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, we will dwell in the fullness of the Godhead, for all the promises of God find their yes, there's that phrase again, in him and we sometimes skip the last phrase here. I'm going to read it and add it again this time. We will dwell in the fullness of the Godhead for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And here comes the purpose. Unto the glory of God by us. So the promises of God find their fulfillment when we are glorifying God. That is our calling to glorify God. That is what the cross made possible. <clears throat> The cross dealt with sin radically, and it will deal with us radically, too. Radical surgery, if you've ever been in the operating room, hopefully on the right side of things, generally means that parts of us are painfully carved out and thrown away. I remember walking into an operating room in Loma Linda once, and there was some dreadful surgery going on on some poor woman. And I said to the plastic surgeon who was trying to repair some things, I said, what on earth? happened to her and he said a bear bit her but it hadn't been they they kind of smiled and fortunately the woman was asleep and I said no what really happened and he said it's radical surgery for cancer and it was a terrible procedure I don't know if she even survived it 
Radical surgery means that parts of us are painfully carved out and thrown away. The skit guys, if you want to look at this at home, I think it was shared with the youth today, have a clip on YouTube entitled God's Chisel. And if you wonder if it hurts when God carves on us sometime, you can watch that little video clip this afternoon. Demonstrates the principle well. <clears throat> but according to Matthew 7, cutting things out isn't enough. That's a story where the demons are banished from a house and worse ones come in. Unless we replace active sin with active righteousness, we will find ourselves in deeper trouble than we were before. Being good, carving out a few things is not enough. We need to be replaced in our hearts with active righteousness. We are not safe in humming emptiness, only in godly, purposeful lives. And that's true whether you're a deaconess feeding people next week, whether it's planning a church picnic, whether it's deciding who can I invite to the next social event of this church. <clears throat> As redeemed Christians, and we're all redeemed, we all love God and we all believe in him and our hope is in him here today, we can happily work from a position of victory not working toward victory. Okay? We have accepted Christ's victory on the cross. And so when we go forward, we, we go forward as victorious Christians. And that's the joy that we need to share with others. In Romans 6, 3 to 5, it says, In the cross we die to sin to walk in what? Newness of life. Okay? Two things, die to sin, walk to newness of life. And that the idea of working from a position of victory was new to me in studying for this week. I loved it. A little story here. <clears throat> when I was about 10, I attempted a, attended a junior camp in Oregon along the Umpqua River. And I met a girl there named Marla. Now Marla, that's not her name. She was kind of a misfit, and I was young and oblivious to her needs. And I simply let her kind of be on her own. I had registered late for camp because my parents had just come back from Africa and I couldn't get into the ceramics class I wanted. And I was assigned to the only remaining class spot at the junior camp and it was beginner swimming. <clears throat> I could swim like a fish, I'd grown up by a river. So instead of trying to make the day better for someone else and being a little disgruntled, I admit, I decided to swim the Umquir River by myself. I did, and I know you're going to think I got stuck, but God had some bigger plans that day. I did swim the river. It was very cold and sat on the other side trying to warm up, watching all the dog paddlers, kind of smiling to myself, and I was bored. As I sat there, <clears throat> a smooth, silky clump of algae, you know, that green stuff, clean, slimed past my leg. I brushed it away and just kept sitting there, and I thought, you know, if this stuff keeps coming by me, I'm going to go sit somewhere else. Then more of it brushed by. I brushed it away again. But as I did though, so this time I looked down to see if there was a lot of it or if more was coming, and I saw that what I thought was algae was hair. It was Marla. I grabbed the hair and pulled, and out came Marla. She had tried to follow me, and she was drowning. Was God trying to teach me something? I think so. 
Do we sometimes brush aside uninteresting, inconvenient opportunities, opportunities maybe we don't like, but that are God's very calling? Some of the people that maybe we think aren't too attractive or maybe they're not really church people or maybe they're not really interested in the Bible, those are the very ones that need you. If someone else follows us, will they come into contact with God or will they drown in the affairs of life? the complaints that we have, and we all have them. And I hope you're thinking about someone right now. Is there someone God has brought into your mind or into your thoughts again and again for his purposes? That's your next contact. The question I had to ask myself and have asked myself many times since Marla and I met, are my personal likes and dislikes running my life, or is Jesus? Am I doing running my life by what I like and what I don't like, or is Jesus running my life from the cross? God wants to lead us into things we have never before seen or experienced. Sin's power is broken. It's broken. 1 John 3, 9 says, Whoever is born of God never again continually practices sin. We are saved and we are free. Freed by the love that drove God to the cross. When we understand that, we are saved and we are free and sin's power is broken and we can live in the cross by his power, not our own. How can we keep quiet? Think of a couple names. God literally traded places with us. He took our sin and our death and he gives us something. He took our sin and our death, and he gives us something. I asked a bunch of people this week, a lot of people, church members, former church members, people who don't go to church at all. I asked them this question. When God takes our sin, what does he give us instead? It doesn't leave us empty. When God takes our sin, what does he give us instead? They had lots of good answers, all true. Love, his character, eternal life, grace, forgiveness, they're all good. But in one word, if you can put what he gives us in just one word, what he gives us in exchange for our sin is himself. God wants to give us inside of us himself. Then we don't have to say, am I patient enough? Did I say that the right way? He wants to live out through us. His strength will be there, his heart will be there, his character will be there, his purposes will be there, his priorities will be there when he gives us himself. That's what he wants to give us. God wants to live within us, to live through us. He can make whatever radical changes are necessary. We can't anyway. God wants to replace our indifference, indifference to sin with a horror of sin. When he's living within us, we will abhor sin, not by gritting our teeth, but by Christ living in our hearts. We will have a horror of sin and the fullness of his heart when we deal with each other, when we deal with problems. He who practices righteousness is righteous. 1 John 3, 7. Practicing is the word there. 
He who practices righteousness is righteous. Let's practice righteousness through God's strength. We won't be able to keep on sinning if we are born of God, 1 John 3, 9. You know, the thought came to me, a slave is only free of his master when he is dead. A slave is only free of his master when he is dead. We are called upon to die and be born again in Christ, our perfect master. The strangest thing about today in my studying is to discover that God needs us. He wants us, yes. He's always wanted us. He actually needs us. God is relying on saved, transformed humans to restore his name and his glory and to aid in the redemption of the world. We are called to be instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6, 19 and 20. Paul refused to reach anything but Christ and he became crucified. Paul never got over his encounter with Jesus. And that's what I want for myself today and for you. Let's never get over the cross, no matter how long it is until next April again. Say this scripture with me if you know it. It's from King James Version, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let us die to sin and live out the will of God in the power of the cross. The closing hymn is uh, number 189, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. May I ask you to stand and stay standing for our closing prayer.